All right, let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you and we, we thank you for another day that you've given us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, Father, that like they would, and we would grow in grace, that we would grow in the knowledge of the truth of you as we're conformed into the Son. Lord, may we be a people that are more like Jesus. Lord, may we look to Jesus. I know and confess it is so easy in this life to look to other things and to other people, and we recognize that there can be models before us, which there should be, but it's to Jesus who we look to, and we are seeking to be more like. And I pray for your help for every one of us that we would, we would as, we're, as we are being molded and sanctified, Lord, that we would submit to that. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys, this morning, there's uh, three texts that we'll, we'll hit, and I'm just going to tell you now, so if you want to write them down, you can, you can look to them. You don't have to turn to all three first, but the, at the same time, you're not going to be able to, but you'll have them available. At your, one, the first one will be Ephesians chapter 4. The second text would be Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians 4, Colossians chapter 1. And the third would be, very briefly, to look um, at the Gospel of John, chapter 15. So Ephesians chapter 4 will be primarily what we'll be taking a look at this morning. Uh, as we consider uh, the following topic of, of growing in Christ, we're in a series um, where last week we talked, we're in a series where we were looking at knowing, growing, and, and going. Um, so we are knowing God we are growing in Christ, and we are going on mission together. This is the series that we're in right now. This is what we're, we're talking about. It's, 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 it's answering the question of what, what is it that we're about as a local church. We're about these things. And so last week, what we looked at is the whole idea of knowing God. And the way we know God is that it is not that we chose him, but that God came to us sovereignly and graciously. He drew us to himself, and we know him because of what he has done in our hearts and made us alive to know him of course, through the preaching of his word, but of the regeneration of, by his spirit in our hearts to know him, the one true God. So we know him because he first knew, known, has known us. And a, as a part of knowing him means that we're going to be in worship of him, the one true God, to his glory, and submit to him, and obey him, and, and, uh, and, and, and love him. So today what we're considering is the whole issue of growing. The goal of discipleship is that we would grow in Christ Jesus, that we would be, become more and more like Jesus. So we are, we are, our focus is growing in Christ, and the reason we are looking at this is because the goal of discipleship itself is to become fully mature disciples. That means every one of us needs to become, another way to say it is to say that every one of us needs to become a fully adult, a fully grown adult in Christ, no longer a child being tossed around by every wave of doctrine that comes our way from the world, but also from inside the church at times. So, so knowing that, knowing that, we, this, knowing that that's what, where we're going, where I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to unpack that. I'm going to show you that that is the case in Scripture, that God does call us to grow and mature, and I'm going to show you what that looks like. 
So there's three ideas that I want you to, to walk away with. The first one is that you'd be convinced in your heart today that you actually need to be growing in Christ. Now, it doesn't seem like I need to make that plain to people, but it's actually something that we need to consider and buy into that we need to mature in Christ. Otherwise, we could be apathetic. We just think, well, you know, I'm good because I'm saved. I have my fire insurance. I'm good to go, which would be totally unbiblical and not right. So we need to understand and submit to the reality that the scriptures call us to grow and mature and become fully grown adults. So there's three ideas that I want you to walk away with. The first one is this, and it'll come out of Ephesians, that that we need to become fully grown adults. Secondly, um, out of Colossians chapter 1, not only do we need to become fully grown adults, but we will actually be presented at one point as fully grown, mature disciples of Jesus at the end. And thirdly, um, you can only do this if you are connected to Christ. The only way that you are going to be able to mature is if you are connected. Another word that we see in the Bible uses this whole idea of abiding in Christ, which means to be connected to him. So those are the ideas that we're going to look over and consider this morning. So we'll be starting in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, as we, we consider these ideas. Starting in verse 6. Excuse me, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, here is Paul quoting the Psalms, and he does something rather interesting here, which we're going to look at. And there's, there's really an interesting imagery. But the whole idea behind what Paul is talking about here is that Jesus gives people in his church gifts. Now, you could also argue, not only does he give people, but he gives leaders in particular for a purpose and for a reason. We're going to see that reason as we look at the text. So what is behind this whole idea of him ascending on high and leading a host of captives and giving gifts to men? In the ancient world, when there was a battle or a war, the captives would be on display going behind the victor before the people. And then they would have the bounty of all the goods that were taken and won, and they would be distributed, whether to the king or to whoever, whoever they wanted to distribute, distribute those gifts. And what the image, what, what Paul is telling us is Jesus is victorious by dying on the cross, and he's, his enemies are behind him on display for all to see. Satan, demons, death, all his enemies. Not only is he victorious over that, but he, takes the, he is just giving, dispensing gifts to his people. That, that's what Paul is saying here. And Paul is actually telling us that's what the psalm is about. God being victorious through Jesus Christ and taking gifts and giving it to his church. That's simply what he's saying. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, Jesus, we know, a helpful way of interpreting this is to understand that Jesus um, not just took on flesh and came to earth, but that he died. 
And we know that he rose from the grave victoriously, right? And that's how he, he takes those he has defeated on display. And we will actually see a future event of that as well. So he, so he not only did, did he do, have this victory, but he's displaying them, but that he had also, and he, Paul is telling us that he had descended into lower parts, uh, uh, excuse me, lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave now, here's where, here's where it gets a little interesting, and I'm going to have to point out a couple things. I'm going to tell you where I'm coming from as it relates to this whole idea of gifts. Because we're going to talk about the whole the notion of us growing and maturing, one of the factors that's going to come into play is the whole idea of the gifts that God has given to his church, which people would agree. However, that being said, the church does have disagreement on what those gifts are in particular. Do, do, does the church not have disagreement? I'm not talking about ours in particular. I'm talking about the church overall. So I'm going to tell, tell you where I'm coming from, where I think a really solid, where really solid ground is to be, and, and how to approach and deal with this as we deal with this very simple idea that God has given gifts, and those gifts are given for a particular reason, namely that they would be used for the building up the church so that we would become fully mature. And before we get to that, I want to address some of the things that lead up to that, because if I don't, you're going to have more questions. No. Now, know this. I will not answer every question as it relates to this, this issue, but I'll get you started. Some of you maybe have done some work and some thinking, and you maybe already have a position, and that's great, and that's wonderful. So let, let, me, let me dive right into this. So Paul goes on to say this, that he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, and you could say, some would argue right here, say, look, he has gifted, he has given a gift to the church and those gifts include these types of leaders, broadly speaking. But what I want to do is I want to address the question about gift, giftings that he gives and whether or not certain gifts still exist, they do or they don't. Now, I realize some of you might not even have that in your mind, and so I will do my best to kind of help you understand so here's, the church has had a, quite a divide on this particular issue. Some would say, hey, look, there are gifts that God has given, the, and there are certain gifts that have gone away. We know that the apostles have died. And, and many would argue that the prophets also have died. But then others would argue and, and uh, make good arguments and a good case from the New Testament saying, hey, look, but God, uh, the scriptures tend to use this word prophecy in different ways in the New Testament, which is true. And the key question is this, are that, is that particular gift, like prophecy or tongues or miraculous gifts, are they for today or have they ceased? And that's the question in the language that is often used as you head into this, this main point of growing and maturing in Christ and gifts that God has given uh, for the, the building of the church. Now, let me back up and just say this once again, that the church it in general is divided on this matter. And not, so now I'm going to tell you where I'm coming from, and I'm going to show you a, a key text, and we'll, we'll, I'll address it very briefly, and then we're going to move on. All right, so, so where I'm coming from is I'm not a cessationist. I don't think the gifts have ceased. I don't see uh, strong enough biblical evidence for that. However, in my view, I'm what you would call an open but extremely cautious kind of perspective. I did not grow up in a charismatic church. I think you can argue that the gifts have not ceased. 
However, I'm always a bit suspicious. So you just know where I'm coming from. That's just me. Um, now, and I'm going to show you where this comes from. If you want to turn there, you can turn to there. It's, it'd be 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13. In verse 8, it says this. Paul says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away, right? As for tongues, they will cease. I'm using the same language that other brothers would use to say, hey, these things have ceased. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. So very clearly, Paul says, love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. And let me just define prophecy the way I believe that prophecy is being defined in 1 Corinthians. And that is the idea of someone coming with um, what someone would call like a word or they, they think they have something from the Lord. However, it would be possibly fallible and questionable whether or not they've received that word from the Lord. A prophet in the Old Testament setting would have been an office, like the same office as an apostle, or even an elder is, a, is an office, all right? So, so most of the time, people, when they talk about a prophet, they're talking about an office, someone that's going to say, thus says the Lord, and if they get it wrong, they get stoned and they're dead. So then you have this New Testament idea, and I'm not going to build a huge case for it for the sake of time, because we have other things to talk about, but you can study further on this. But prophecy could be interpreted as, as saying something or, hey, I really believe, some, someone will come to the place of saying, I think God is speaking to me in this way, and they say this. So, so the question is, have these things ceased? That is the question. For we know in part, verse 9, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So the scripture says, when the perfect comes, these things, the partial will pass away. That's what the scripture says. The difficulty is, in, is how you interpret what the perfect is. Is the perfect Christ, or in some cases, some, like a hard school, old school cessation say that the perfect was the, the closing of the canon, all right? And they make good arguments for that. That's not where I'm coming from. I would say the perfect would be Christ because we see him in a mirror dimly, and then we will see him face to face. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, love, abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So I'm not coming from a cessationist perspective, but I have a, like a giant seatbelt or caution on me. So you just need to know that uh, about me as a pastor and how you'll hear me talk about these things. If you come to our church and you came from a charismatic background, we welcome you as a fellow brother and sister. I would just say, man, don't try to make me all charismatic, you know, and like, and expect the church is going to be super charismatic and waving flags around because that's not going to happen. Like, just we love you and, and we accept you and we want, I want you to know that the, the first um, gate into coming and being part of a church is just that you're Christian, and I know that there are people coming from different perspectives on this matter, and um, where I'm coming from is not a cessationist, but I'm very cautious, like an open but cautious perspective. So I would just say, they haven't ceased, but I have some uh, extensive caution on the matter. So in Ephesians 4, Paul is making clear 
that God has given these gifts. So no matter which perspective you're coming from, you can say this, that God has given leaders for the church. He has given these leaders as a gift. Now the question is, why has he given these leaders, prophets and evangelists and apostles and so forth, and pastors and teachers? And it says in verse 12, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so these teachers, pastors, apostles, prophets, etc., this is to equip the saints for ministry, for the building up of Christ's body, the church. Until when? In verse 13 it tells us. Until we all attain to the unity of faith. Do you see that? Now, the idea is that we are becoming more and more like Jesus so that we are more and more united in our faith and understanding of who Jesus is. Look at the next phrase. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. So until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, why is it that Christians would have so many different opinions about a number of issues? Well, the reason why there'd be so many different opinions about a lot of life issues is because we live in a fallen and broken world. But the goal of this building up is that we would be more and more united in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, what Paul is saying is that we need to become more and more like Jesus. That very simple truth. We need to, be, we need to grow we need to become mature. We need to become like Jesus. So it says in the next so it says this. So growing in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Do you see that? This is the goal of discipleship, that we would grow more and more in stature to become a fully grown adult. That's another way to say it. A fully grown adult. To the measure of the scripture of the fullness of Christ. So there it is, becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more mature, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So we are to become full-on adults. We're to grow, we are to grow more and more mature. And uh, the question is, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to become fully grown adults? Now, people have a lot of different opinions about what this looks like. But the Bible actually shows us a big clue into one of the first ways this would actually look like. It would be that we would grow in our love for each other and our knowledge of who Jesus is, that our faith would grow and our understanding of Jesus would grow, and the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we will become, the more unified the people of God become. And that happens on a local and a broader uh, perspective, but the more, we become more, the more we become like Jesus, the more we will become closer and closer as brothers and sisters in Christ, not tossed around by every wave of doctrine. So what types of worldly things are there out there? There's so many. There's, isn't there so many? Let, let me throw some your way and see if any of these sound familiar to you. Um, 
But here, here's an idea. Here's a worldly idea. Now, some of these things actually sound like normal, regular ideas, and they can be used either way, depending on the context, right? So one of them is this. You can be what you want to be. Now, do you remember being in high school and, like, people would say, and I'm not saying they do this every school, but they would try to encourage kids, hey, you could be whatever you want, which meant you can, you can be an an astronaut if you want, or a teacher if you want, or a skateboarder, or what, you just dream big and you can be whatever you want to be. Now, the reality is that's not very, it's, it's loving, but it's not loving because not everyone could be whatever they want. I will never be a professional skateboarder and I'm not smart enough to be an astronaut and I probably would throw up like the moment I was, I mean, I, I wouldn't be, I couldn't, I don't have the giftedness to do that. And yet, you can, so the, the whole idea of you can be whatever you want has come to mean something completely different in the world that we live in hasn't it? Like, you can be whatever gender you want, for example. That's a worldly doctrine, but that is not in step with the truth of Scripture. Now, when National Come Out Day came along this last week, if you thought, oh, yay, I will tell you this, you are confused and you're being tossed around by every wind of doctrine that has come your way. And the thing is, the sad reality is, is that Christians have even bought into that. Now, we need to be gracious to every single person. I'm a sinner. Everyone else is a sinner. I want you to know Jesus. However, if we think that something evil is good, then we are being tossed around by every wave of doctrine and therefore not mature. And what we need to come... We need, to, we need to come to a place where we believe that we need to mature in Christ, which means if we become more and more like Jesus and our faith gets more united, then we would understand that we are not to be tossed around by every wave of doctrine. How about this? God accepts you no matter what. Now here, that gets messy depending on the context in which you're saying that. God accepts you no matter what. Now look, you know what? God accepts sinners. Like the whole idea of coming as you are, come and trust in Jesus. Let him make you clean. That's true. Jesus makes us clean. We don't make ourselves clean. But it has become something else. You know what? God accepts you as you are. Therefore, do whatever you want is what that's come to mean, depending on the context. How about this one? Hashtag, you matter. Which means something like, no one can say what you are and, and you can do whatever you want to. You matter. Or how about this? Love is love. I mean, the commercial comes on. Parents ask me at times, hey, when do we have these types of conversations with our kids? Now, for us as parents, we had those conversations when the commercial came on or walking in the store because we were just, fo- our hand was forced to have these, con- these conversations that you think you're not going to have until your children are older and, and able to receive these conversations. But the reality is the world that we have come to live in has become more complicated and difficult, and they're seeing things and hearing things that, that we, when I was a kid, we were not hearing. And not until our parents thought we were at the age where we can have a conversation about those things. Or how about this one? You deserve to be happy, which means in some context, if you're not happy with your marriage, just pull the pin, throw the grenade in the, in the bedroom. How about this one? This one's one of my favorites. If you love your children, you won't correct them. I mean, that is just a straight-up lie from the pit of hell, isn't it? <laughs> a lie. Man, 
Here, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to tell you something that comes right from the Old Testament from 1 Samuel. And you can turn there or just listen to me describe what happens. Because I, I, when I look at 1 Samuel, I see what God has, is doing in revealing his plan to, to rescue his people through a, um, a better priest, a better prophet, a better judge than Samuel, for sure. After they had broken God's heart by wanting a king like all the other people, when God is their king. But what I see is a people that bought into the philosophy and the world, worldly ideas of their day, and they got impacted by them, and it created all kinds of chaos and pain for the people, for the household of God. Now, so I'm going to tell you a bit about the story. I'm going to tell you how they were influenced in, um, by the culture in which they live. And then I'm going to tell you about the implications and the problems that they had because of that. And I'm going to, I'm going to connect that to the, one of the problems that we have is this whole idea of, of raising our children to know God and being willing to say no and willing to discipline them because we love them. In a world that says, how dare you discipline them? You can't tell them what to be. Or, it's like laughable. It's just so crazy. But it's the world that we live in. And you know what? Those of you that, are, that aspire to have children or those of you that have children that are going to be heading into um, the education world, you're going to have all kinds of different people with a lot of different ideas. And as Christians, how do we deal with that? Well, I think w- the way we deal with that, we need to understand that we need to grow more and more like Jesus to full maturity. And it means I need to grow to a place where I'm able to lovingly say the truth to my child because I love them and I want them to, be, to know Jesus and then therefore to be conformed into his image. So in 1 Samuel, there is a, there's, there's a woman going to the place of meeting to worship with her household, with her husband, and she is barren. Her name is Hannah. Hannah is going, and she's barren. And um, now, look, this is, a, this is a, a messy deal, but her husband has another wife, and she's this, I don't know which order, I can't remember which order they're in, but she's barren, and the other, the other woman has kids, and mocks her all the time. And they go, they go to the, the tent of meeting to go and worship, and she is pleading with God, pleading with God that she would have um, children, pleading with God that he would remember her. And she, she makes this vow to him. Now, who, the child that she's going to have is going to be Samuel, who will eventually be this, this prophet and this priest and, this, and who will judge Israel for a long time. In fact, he's the one that will anoint David. Now, um, she's pleading with God, and she makes this vow in verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on, my affliction, on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So she makes this vow, and the Lord remembers her, and she, uh, this, so this woman who is barren, she gets pregnant by her husband, and she, when her son is, is weaned, she's going to bring him to the tent of meeting. Now remember, this is the, the temple has not been made yet. This is the tent of meeting, and probably, most likely, the chief priest at this time is, is a man named Eli, and he has two sons. Um, his two sons, one of them is named Phineas, and the other is Hophni. 
Now, now Eli is probably, look, the text doesn't say that he's the, the head priest, but he, he probably is. He's, he's quite possibly head priest. But they, he, they had been influenced by culture, and it had gone awry. Now, the scriptures say this. In chapter 2, verse 12, uh, so Hannah's made this vow to God, and they're there doing their business and, and making sacrifices. And, and the, the chief priest in, in uh, who's there at the time, is Eli and his two sons. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Now, unfortunately, these were priests of God, but the Bible says that they did not know God and they were worthless men. Now, the text actually unfolds just how worthless they were. One of the things that they were, they were required to do as a priest is they were able to get their food from what, from what the people brought. And they were to honor that and respect the way God had arranged this. And so they were able to, a priest could come and they could like stab the meat after it had been boiled a certain way. But these guys, they didn't want to wait for that. They wanted, look, you know, those of you who smoke and do barbecue, like, you don't want to boil your meat. That's disgusting. No one does that. Like, that's not fun. Like, you want to smoke it or barbecue it and all the goodness happen that needs to happen to it. When you boil it, all that goodness ain't going to happen. Right? I do know that much. I may not be an astronaut, but I know that. So look, here's the thing. So they are, they are going to the people that are making their sacrifices and worshiping the Lord, and they are, they are going to uh, take the meat when they first get in there because they want it raw. And they're like, whoa, aren't you supposed to wait until it actually, the fat has boiled? This is part of what God has required. And they're like, no, oh, we're going to take it by force. And they totally defame what God has put in place, and, they, and their sin is really great. The second thing that they were doing, in verse 22, it says this, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing uh, to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. It is so horrific and sad that these men who were called to be priests of God that should have learned from their father who was a priest were doing evil not only to their own souls but to the souls of the people that they were to care for by sleeping with their women and taking and, and stealing from them. Now what God says in chapter 3 is he says this. He says in verse 13, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house. That's Eli's house. Um, I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not. Catch this. Are you ready? And he did not restrain them. You know, this is a, maybe a stretch, but I'm thinking that Eli's um, lack of restraining his children started when they were two and not when they were 30. And so what I want to tell you, brothers and sisters that aspire to be married and to have children, don't buy into the world's philosophy of raising children. It is wicked. And those of you that are blessed and have children now, like, you need to know that you are not to buy into the world's philosophy, but submit to what God instructs in this. And then there's a third party, like, if you have been raising kids and you feel like, I don't want you to feel the weight of guilt and the burden of, man, I have just messed this up for years. I want to free you with the good news of the gospel that God can redeem the brokenness that we've done and he can, he can deal with it. We can repent 
we can acknowledge we have not done this right, and God can forgive us, and, and God can redeem our children where we have neglected to love them, to love them the way we ought to. You know, these Old Testament passages, they show us examples many times of how we are not to live. God's word says, because they were blasphemy and he did not restrain them, God was going to deal with them. You know what happens is they actually, they, those both men die. They're in this battle. Israel's in a battle and these priests come and they, they die. And Eli's really old and at this point he's actually blind. His sight has been going probably from lots of reading, I'd imagine. And he's like 89. He's a super old dude. And he hears the word, and he hears this terrible news and how, how Israel has been losing, and the ark is taken, and his sons have died, and he falls over, old man, and he breaks his neck. The scriptures say he breaks his neck and says that he was a heavy man. He died. It's a terrible thing. And it is terrible to buy into the philosophies of this world and submit to them. Paul says in Ephesians, that we are to grow to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 4, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So I ask you, do you even know what worldly philosophies you might be buying into. There's a few things I, I, I want you to just kind of consider as, before we even move to the next text. There's some things I want you, to, I want you to, to, just to buy into. Number one, look, if we are to grow in this way, we need to, to come to terms with that it means you become more and more like Jesus, conformed into the image of Jesus. Number two, um, if we are growing to full maturity, that we're going to dis- be able to discern right from wrong. So I would ask you, are you able to discern right from wrong as you grow into Jesus, as you become to full ma- manhood and not being tossed around by every wind of doctrine that comes your way? Can you discern right from wrong? Number three, do you have a better grasp of the gospel today than you did a year ago or five years ago and know how to speak that into your life or into your spouse's wife or into your children's life or into a beloved dear sister or brother in your church? Number four, are you bearing good fruit and are you connected to Jesus? So, so those thoughts are, I, I want you to wrap your mind around those things as we consider this whole idea of growing and maturing in Christ Jesus. The, ne- the next text I want, I want us to go to is, um, is Colossians chapter 1. Not only does God, does God want us to grow in this way and be maturing but I want you to see there's a, little, there's a nuance in Colossians chapter 1 that I want you to see. Number one, the nuance is this, that we will come to a place where we will be presented to God as um, fully. The goal, the goal is, rather, that everyone is presented, every Christian is presented as fully mature in Christ. Listen to what it says. I'm, I'm going I'm to start in verse 24, and I'm going to take us right there to the, the point. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, right? Paul is, is glad to suffer for the sake of bringing the gospel to others and in my flesh. 
I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, if you read that wrong, you will be a heretic, okay? Now, listen closely. Now, Jesus is not lacking anything in the sense that he didn't do the work or accomplish the work that he needed to on the cross. What Paul is talking about is his physical presence, that's, what Paul's, that's all he's saying, very simply. He's talking about, he's filling out what Jesus, what Jesus is lacking, that is, like, that he is present. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. Do you see that? He's able, he was making that word fully known by, by saying it, by being present, um, uh, where we can, but others hearing about the goodness of the gospel. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is, here's the mystery, Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, here's the maturity. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we, look, this is done in community, by the way, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the goal of all this labor is that the saints would be presented fully mature in Christ. So not only are we to be maturing, which we would see in Ephesians chapter 4, but we would see a, a, place, a time where we were fully developed disciples of Jesus, fully mature, a fully grown man. For this, I toil and struggle with all energy that he powerfully works within me. Christ works in him. Now, notice, now, now in Colossians, he's dealing with some different types of issues than Ephesians. He's very generally speaking about the, the plan of God and the church, all right? Um, but here, he addresses a particular kind of issue that the, the people, uh, the Colossian people are, 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 um, are hitting, and you see that in verse 8 and in verse 16. Verse 8 of chapter 2, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, be, uh, according to human traditions, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive. Are we held captive by these ideas of how we raise our kids? Are we held captive by our view of gender and sexuality? Are we held captive, no matter what it is, I, I can't list out. There's so many things. I can't list them all out. But there are, there are pressing issues that we will be facing as Christians. And are you, have you come to a place in maturity where you're able to sort of discern those things? And I would say this, that the way you're going to be able to discern those things is within Christian community. This is why you actually have to be in Christian community. You have to be hanging out with other brothers and sisters, having conversations, praying together, studying his word together, being in a branch group together. Somehow, if you can't be in a branch group, like you need to talk to some other Christian, have coffee, pray together, read, the, open the Bible together. You have to be in community. You have to be known and you have to know and be known so that you can be challenged. You, you might be in some sin and you're like, this ain't sin. And then another brother or sister is like, dude, this is sin. You're like, no, well, that ain't sin. You're like, that's worldly, dude. Like, whatever it is. Look at verse uh, 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questioning food and drink or with regard to a festival or the new moon or Sabbath. Look, there were people, there was a hard transition in the early church, and many wanted others to, hey, look, you need to get circumcised, or you need to buy into this thing. And this particular issue was terrible and crazy. Listen to this. These are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting asceticism and worship of angels. So weird, right? 
I've ran into people that try to do that today. I, I've had someone try to convince me we're going to need to do that. I'm like, dude, no, you are a heretic, bro. And they're like, uh-uh, no, I'm not. I'm like, yeah, you are. Look at the Bible. Going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with, uh, with a growth that is from God. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying they lost their mind. That's what he's saying. He lo- they, they have lost their minds if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they all use according to the human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom um, and prom- promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and, se- and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." So let me ask you this. If we are to grow as fully grown adults in Christ, how do we do it? How do we do it? And I just want to, I want to, I've, I've said these things, but I want you to like just wrestle with a couple of ideas. Well, first, I want you to look at um, the Gospel of John chapter 15 and know this that the only way that you're going to be able to mature and grow in Christ is if you abide or are connected to Jesus himself. And so if you are not a Christian, there's no way you're going to grow or mature. There's no way. And if you are a Christian and you are resisting what he says in his word, then you're not going to mature. Like you need to be connected to Jesus. Listen to what it says in, in John 15, verse 4. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Do you hear that? It cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He's talking to an agricultural society that totally understands. You know, no branch that isn't connected to the vine of grapes is going to produce any fruit. That is impossible. And they understand we need to be connected to Jesus. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you are not connected to Jesus, it is impossible for you, for us, to bear fruit. We must be connected to Jesus. So here's a few practical things I want us to consider. Number one, we need to mature, right? So we need to become more and more like Jesus in our thinking, in our actions. And the way we're going to do that is if we submit to what God's Word says. We need to submit to special revelation. It's not enough to gaze into the stars or look on the Internet or do a Google search to know God. We actually have to hear what the Word of God says. We have to read it. We have to listen to it. God has instituted um, these gifts in the church, pastors, teachers, to proclaim Scripture. Number two, we need to grow in our understanding of the truth. The way that we are going to be more unified together and have better fellowship and friendship and all those things is if we are more and more united to Jesus. That's what Ephesians 4 is all about. So the building of the body, speaking the truth in love, all that comes is we are united to Jesus. Number three, um, if we are maturing, then we are going to be able to sniff out worldly teaching. There is a lot of worldly teaching that every one of us runs into and bumps up against on a weekly basis, a daily basis. 
when we're not hanging out with other Christians. I would say that you need to be able in community so that you're talking about these different things, asking good questions. And you know what? Not everyone's going to have an answer. Be like, man, that's a new weird thing I never heard of. I don't know what to think about that. That almost smells like truth, but something smells kind of weird about it. Like the more you are connected to Jesus, the more you're going to be able to sniff out worldly ideas. Number four, get in Christian community. I've said this over and over, and we say it all the time, but I I am convinced the Scripture makes it clear to us that we need to be in fellowship with one another. How do you amen each other? How do you have friendship with each other? How do you um, do all of the one another's in the Bible if we are not somehow gathering together? So I would say, with all your might, get in a branch group. And if you can't, let's find another way to get you in Christian community where you're hanging out with other brothers and sisters somehow. Um, Number five, and lastly, I'll just say this, like help out and use the gifts that God has given you. And I just want to kind of cast a little bit of vision. So one of the ways that we, we see growth one of the ways that you can grow is certainly hearing the preaching of the word. It's certainly being in Christian community. And it's also like we have this vision and this dream to be able to, to, to become a church that is a missions outpost. And it's equipping all the saints and training all the saints to high level of Christian theology and everything. You know, we, we really believe that Christians can be trained up and do Christian mission right where God has you right now. God has called every Christian to, that, to, to participate in that, where you live, where you work, where you play, and we can equip you. And we want to head in direction where we're equipping and have those equipping opportunities regularly as a local church. And, and we have a vision and dream for that, and it's going to take time to implement that because it takes people and time and training. But you need to know that we care and we want that for all the people that are part of branches because we want to do missions here, but we also want to see who God would raise up. And you know what? just send out. And it could be connected in our network with Acts 29 or PCN and doing missions cross-culturally all over the place, however God wants to do it. But that might be you. Some of you hanging out with us now might be those people that would grow up and possibly, uh, I'm I'm not saying you should leave your vocation, but God could call you out of the vocation you're in and into a a new one for a season. I I, I really believe that your endeavor and that's non- um, it's a non-church work is worth it and worthwhile, and um, it's a worthy endeavor. Endeavor. I, I, I bit my tongue the other day, so like, it's, I can see why kids have trouble with R's, like when you're growing, and I'm having trouble with my R's after I bit my tongue really bad this week. Endeavor. So, so that came out weird. But I want you to know that we, we have a vision for that and a hope for that, and we want to see that happen, but it's going to take time. So that's what I want to close with. Let's pray together. And Father, I, I thank you for these brothers and sisters in Christ. May we be a people that, that completely submit to you, that we abide in you, are connected to you, that we would know and that we would grow to full, mature adulthood. I pray this in the name of Jesus and plead with you. Hear our cry in Jesus' name. Amen.